riffs and scripts. Amber, what's your favourite dinosaur? Oh, um, I don't know. Uh, oh, oh. Wrong, it's a triceratops. My name is Cole Bryant. What just happened? I'm Amber Savile. That's what happened. Good. Right, Welcome what is to your favourite dinosaur? Um, Welcome, I like everyone. the Hello. fact, I forgot what they're called, but you know the ones that we've now discovered were like the size of chickens? What? What, like velociraptors or Velociraptor, something? yeah, they're fun. Yeah, because they're, they're pretty small. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just like Triceratops. But um, Iguanodons are fun because we thought they had horns for a long while. Do you know about this? N- no. But they actually had little thumb stabby things. Little little thumb shifts so they can go, ah, you cunt, and stab them right in the fucking balls. <laughs> I was literally talking to my parents today about how much you say cunt. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that after I sent you that T-shirt? You didn't even send it to me. It just showed up on my phone, and I burst out laughing. My mum loved Boom. it. Yeah, I, I love I love ridiculously swearing T-shirts. So I um, people at home, there's uh, a company I can't remember the name. Who cares? Um, they make really like offensive shirts, um, offensive slogans, um, and I love that. Yeah. So um, we got ones. They did a series where they did loads of sweary phrases where they took out all the vowels. So for in, um um and everyone in the band got one, so I got one for Nath that I think was, uh, Thundercunt. No, yeah, I got him Thundercunt, and I can't remember if I got Luke Fuckface or Piss Flaps. I think it was Piss Flaps, and then um what I had Cunt's gonna cunt right myself, <laughs> and um they got me ball bag. Right, no more recording episodes as soon as you get in from work because you're in a weird <laughs> mood. I was in the car going, I'm going to interrupt Amber with, with the dinosaur thing and that's my whole game plan for today's recording. Fantastic. <laughs> so today we're talking about kind of writing duos. Um, I guess that's what we're going for. Yeah. We, we did that thing that we do sometimes where we're like, oh shit, we should really think of like a theme of this episode. And then Amber says... Cole, you should think of one and get send me some ideas. And I went, okay, I will. And then I didn't. And then I messaged while I was at work today going, oh my God, I have no idea what our podcast is about tonight. So, That's not what you said. You um, said, Amber, I have nothing to say. So yeah, it does happen. To say. <laughs> he does run out eventually. But, but then yeah, that's what you think. But then I just hadn't opened my mouth. Before long we had a whole list and now we've planned like three more episodes. So. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's what always happens. Exactly. It's like think of something to do and it's like, well, I'd like to discuss these 12 things, please. So, writing duos. So, I mean, there's whole aspects that we can do about this from my point of view as a musician, but also, you know, famously people have composed music and then combined with lyricists and people um and you had a couple of people you wanted to talk about i'd like to hear about um what you mentioned earlier to me in private so um yesterday i went and did the first dance class i've done in months and it was so much fun and we got there and it was it was dancing for actors now actually before we go on to our theme i'm gonna start my day with a rant um good too right I went to Pineapple Dance Studios, right? Now, I chose a class this time that is aimed at actors. It was dancing for actors. So a lot of the time it's musical theatre stuff and it's really fun. And I had a great time. And you know what was really lovely is it wasn't surrounded by arseholes. So oh, isn't that nice? 
when you go to pineapple, and I'm going to say this because everyone I've said this to privately has agreed with me, there are some nasty dancers. If you go for like the ballet classes, if you go for the like professional dance classes, there are just mm. really bitchy people. The kind of personalities, kind of personalities that you put in sitcoms and on like in chick flicks you do know what i mean like the cheerleader Mm. types and they can be horrible yeah i remember once um i went to a dance lesson while i was doing a show just trying to keep my skills up and i went and did um, a ballet class that i was holding my own in but i clearly was a bit like unsure of like the class etiquette because we had all Mm. these um bars that are not just around the edge of the room they're like stands but it's a ballet bar Mm. across the top and we all set out and Clearly, where I chose to stand on the ballet bar was bothering this other woman. Like, I and I must have been a foot off. And this was long before mm. COVID. This wasn't a COVID thing. Yeah. This was just a pissing contest thing. And when you do bar work, you put one hand on the bar, you face this way, you do all your stuff with the other hand. And then the rule is you turn towards the bar, swap hands and face the other way, right? Yeah. So you do a little, but it happens really quickly in the middle of um, the warm up. It's like, and turn. So sometimes you don't like nail it and you shift a little bit. And this woman, now she, she actually wasn't like a teenage mean girl. She was easily in her fifties and Mm. proper dressed in like the ballet thing, like the little floaty skirt and the tights and the leotard and everything. And yeah, (laughs) she was just, instead of saying to me, would you mind just taking one step that way just so that we're not getting in each other's way? She would just kind of gesture and be like, "Ugh, what is she doing? Like, look at her. Uh, do you know what I mean? And it was just really nasty. That's fucking weird. And I remember telling someone about it and he phrased it really well. He just kind of went, bitch, we gonna fight. And I was like, that's how I felt. I felt like just looking at her and going, do you want to fight me? Because she was being horrible. And also... You'd lose, bitch. You'd lose. Oh, she really <laughs> fucking would. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, and also before before lockdown, pineapple got way too crowded, like to the point where you couldn't warm up. There were too many yeah. people in the classes. There was no limit everyone showed up with the money and everyone got let in and it just meant you didn't have as much room and then also um if say you learn a little routine that lasts only about 30 seconds you have to do it in groups so that you can have a go and there's like 10 groups so you spend ages at the sides waiting for your turn whereas now there are caps on how many people can go in a class and there were little marks on the floors and it was really spread out and it was lovely Mm, so yeah just dancers i know you're not listening you wouldn't you wouldn't condemn yourselves to listen to my fucking opinions. But <laughs> grow the fuck up and behave in these dance lessons. No one gives a shit. But you know what the other side of it is, and I find this really tragic, is then the other types of dancers that I see are, like, killing themselves to be good at dancing. Like, yeah. I, I, in one of the ballet classes I've been to, we were doing corner work where, you, you know, you yeah. go across the room. You've seen this a lot. And... It was like, okay, and end with a pirouette. Some people did singles. Some people did doubles. One girl tried to do a triple every time. And quite often she would stumble because it's difficult doing a triple pirouette. And I spotted, because I'm just quite an aware person, the level of like hate for herself that she felt when she didn't land the triple pirouette every time. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like the level of pressure these girls put themselves and guys, yeah, do you know what I mean? But she happened to be female. But like, 
the dancers, the proper like dedicated dancers, they really are like yeah. athletes. They are the up at four AM types. Absolutely, yeah. For for like the chance at one year that goes really well for them, the same way an athlete would. Like it's insane. Yeah. So mad, anyway. I went to this dance class and I had a really good time because it was dancing for actors. No one was, no one had any grandeur about them and we just had a laugh. And the person who came to teach um, was actually covering for the usual teacher and she happened to have been in Cats the Musical live. And so oh, wow. we learned some original Cats choreography. Now, oh, wow. what you may not know is that Gillian Lynn, who choreographed Cats, is, is a bit of a, of a musical theatre-like dance icon. She she has done hmm. incredible choreo and she's she's phenomenal. She died a few years ago, um, but she's like she really is one of the greats. So I was in my element learning this choreo. I was like, yeah, check me out. I had it where it. what's depressing is when you're dancing and you do like a sidekick and you think your uh, your leg is like pow hitting your ear and then you see it back and you're like, eh. <laughs> oh my god. What can you do? <laughs> Got to practice. Um, so this is my very roundabout way of saying that that dance class roundabout. also reminded me how much I love Cats the Musical. And I think I've said Aww. this before, but the film should never have been made. It isn't a musical <laughs> for cinema. It, there's almost no plot. And that's fine because it's it's a it's a child-friendly show. So it's not got death and love and drama like Les Mis or Cabaret or something. So it's it's just playful, but it's also stunning and really, really creative. And Andrew Lloyd Webber did the music for it. And one of the most famous duos in musical theatre is Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. Mm. Have I, I feel like go. you look a bit confused. Have I thrown that a was, lot of no, info no, no, at no, you? No, 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 no. No, no, I was like, uh, no, no, actually I, actually, I wasn't confused. I was thinking about how I never saw the Cats musical and how shoddy the CG looked and how someone did an Mate. edit where they added assholes to all the cats. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> what is up with these laughs today? What? <laughs> Why have I made myself laugh that bad? <laughs> Oh god! <laughs> but Sorry. my point, but that film just shouldn't exist. It shouldn't because the the original musical is is stunning, and there actually is a there's a cast recording that they did like decades mm. ago, and I mean decades because I had it on video, and it was brilliant. And I just it just reignited my love for that musical, and mm. um, I don't know why. <sighs> Some people, and I don't, I don't fully understand the argument. Have made the argument that like Andrew Lloyd Webber, like ruined musical theatre, and I'm like, well, he didn't. He wrote some of the longest running musicals in history, and I don't hmm. know. I don't know if it's just that everyone's going to have their own little heroes. Like, fine, yeah. but I think that Andrew Lloyd Webber, and therefore Tim Rice, who so Andrew Lloyd Webber does music, Tim Rice does lyrics. That's usually yeah. how they work. Um, I think that what they did was they they wrote a lot of, at least in my experience, a lot of the first musicals I loved. So I think what they did was they made musical theatre a bit more accessible. Like, because you would argue that before them, you either had the obviously kiddie stuff like Annie, you know, or you yeah. had the the rather adult stuff, do you know? And or, or like, you know, the old Hollywood stuff like Singing in the Rain. And I, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I think that they they represent a big moment in time for musical theatre. And, you know, that's not to say that we don't love 
Lin-Manuel Miranda and, you know, all of those people now. But the reason that you could critique their stuff is because of just how long it's been running for. You know, Mm. like it was written decades ago. So A, put it in context, which we talked about on our last episode a little bit. But B, it's longevity. So you're looking at at a big step in musical theatre. And that, that doesn't mean we don't have to enjoy the progress that comes later. But that doesn't undermine how great they were and still are. Because so the the things that they're most famous for are things. I uh, said so cats, obviously. Yeah. Phantom of the Opera, one of the first musicals yeah. I was obsessed with. I I watched that. Every, I used to have a routine when I was in about year seven of watching it every Sunday after I'd finished all my homework. Or oh wow! Some, sometimes while I was watching, while I was finishing my homework, like when do you remember like doing like big art projects for GCSE and stuff? Whack Phantom on. Mm. I loved it. It was stunning and romantic and but and like but magical at the same time. They're also um really famous for Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, and, yeah, that's one I, I enjoy a lot. And well, I was it's interesting for you to say that because I, I'm not surprised that you enjoy that a lot because guess what it's got? Really good male solos. Yeah. Like Well, it was written with um with Ian Gillen from Deep Purple in mind for the for the singer. So the original album was Ian Gillen. So that's oh. why all that really high, yeah, Wah! all yeah. that stuff is Ian Gillen. I've never actually um, seen Jesus Christ Superstar, but the main like every time I look at you, I don't understand. That is a banger. yeah, all that. I love it. It's, it's, the, the music's great. It's really great. I think they're brilliant, and I think that look, I think that criticizing things that you love is great. Yeah. But I think that when you just want to be snobbish and go, oh, but the main song for the Phantom of the Opera is just a scale. I'm like, yeah, it is. No, 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 You didn't fucking write it though, did you? Like, well, that's the thing, isn't like, it? For one thing, for one thing, it's a chromatic scale, which isn't something that's typically used anyway. Is it chromatic? So actually... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. So so people don't... That's just, uh, I don't know. Also, so balls. so much music uses scales. Scales are like the skeletons of music. Oh, well, everything it's, uses scales in a way, doesn't it? Like, when like, people don't do use scales, everything sounds fucking weird. Unless you're doing kind of soundscape stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, but but even then, what what happens is pe- people try to avoid. So there's there's this thing that we've talked about before, which is it's great to break the rules, but you should know what the rules are. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. The yes, thing yes. that the thing that happens is. Um, there's all these tricks to do with music with um, people love things they already know, yeah. but they like extrapolations on that. Yeah. And one of the Something ways you that know with a twist yeah. is probably the most so one popular of the ways thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. One of the bra- ways your, your brain interprets stuff is, I know all these scales. Now, you know all these scales because you've heard them all your life. But you don't actually know what they are. But you, you know they're, them. They're just always there. Yeah. So when people do something fun with a scale... Which is really how blues came around, to be honest. It, it, it comes from you have that pentatonic scale and you have the blues note, which is the diminished fifth, right? Right. So, um, and it's all about playing on 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 little kind of microtones and bending and blah, blah blah. But basically, the whole point in why blues as as a genre and how that scale works, the blues scales, mm-hmm. well, it's more one more than one, is that it's a variation on a standard. Yes. Really, that's kind of how it works. So, um. The best thing you can do with um, making something new is doing something unexpected with something that someone already knows about. Yeah, so, yeah, for instance, for sure. writing a main theme on a chromatic scale is actually a very daring thing to do. 
because that's not really a thing. It's it's, it's like how Jaws is just two notes, yeah. but it's like one of the most recognisable pieces of kind of uh, soundtracking in the whole of cinema history. It's just like crazy. And it's not as simple as that. That's a rubbish argument. Piss off. I no, it's basically yeah, and it's it's we it's what I'm basically about to repeat what you're saying, but it's what you do with it, and it's not the whole song. Yeah, it's 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 just the intro, like chill, (laughs) and I don't know. I I love their music. I think that the way that they layer is really stunning, and they do this with both music and lyrics as a duo. So. Phantom of the Opera, and again, maybe it's because it's one of the first times I noticed it. It does get done a lot. So, like, famously in Les Mis, um, you've got One Day More, which is a mashup of a load of the previous songs, but it is still very much a mashup of them. You swap between them, and that is a bit of a musical theatre trope. However... Oh, that's one of my favourite things that happens in musical theatre. Same, same. However, Phantom takes it to another level. So what happens in the Phantom of the Opera... And I fucking love the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, my God. Um, So you have all these different songs that happen throughout the whole show. This is the thing as well. It's not used as like a way to sum up the story so far right before the interval, which a lot of musicals do, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, of course. Um, It's done at a crescendo moment. And you've got all... It's so stunning. You've got three different characters, each singing one of those songs at the same time as an argument and it yeah. works. So you've got um, the Phantom. So this it's the, it's like a big bit where the Phantom take gets very jealous that Christine falls in love with another man. So he takes he's got him hostage. So he and he said it's it's fucked up. The Phantom is like an abusive. I want the girl groomer yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Like it is a bit fucked up. That's just a fact. Um, where, so he's got him and he's and it's like, yeah, so free him and stay with me or leave me and he dies is what yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he sings, he has not long before sung the point of no return in a different yeah, context. Yeah. And now he's singing yeah. it again, like, this is your choice. This is your point of no return. When then you've got Raul singing, that's all I ask of you, which was their love song where it's like, um, say you'll love me every waking moment. But this time he's going, say you love him and my life is over. Like, don't do it. He's using their love song to beg her mm. not to do it. And she, Christine, is singing a whole other one. What's she, um, Angel of Music? She's singing. So she's Angel of Music is her song with him as her teacher mm. with the Phantom. Mm. So she's singing it to beg him. She's like, Angel of Music, who deserves this? And so it's not a mashup. It's not, oh, a verse of this one and then the chorus of that one. It's all three songs at once fitting Mm. they are individual songs that then got layered like a beautiful lasagna (laughs) of music and lyrics and it's stunning this just reminded me of two things um one west side story in my opinion is still like so high up there with with in terms of just how the music works Mm. um and they use um all these themes um trigger warning folks um (laughs) for the next minute but during the the rape scene of the sister yeah um they in a different key they're doing this this horrible fucking thing with the, the jets are doing this horrible fucking thing and then you hear the and that makes me go oh i hate this i fucking hate this yeah. every single time um which is an incredible piece of music that, that no one ever talks about that partially because a lot of people don't know about it because i don't think it's even 
like it's 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 something that people don't talk about. It's when also they talk about West Side Story. Sometimes intentionally, and it's such a controversial scene. Yeah, it's very yeah. controversial. So even when it is scene. included, they kind of do it like yeah. off stage. You know, like yes, even in the exactly movie, it. even in the yeah. movie, it's not yeah. it's not really put. It's not in the like foreground. That. Yeah. When I saw it live, I was like, I fucking hate this. Yeah. Um, which is what which what is that's intention. For. Yeah, yeah. Which is what that's for, and that's such it, that one. That's one. The reason I bring it up is it's one singular moment of of a way of using music in a different context that goes, holy holy shit, what mm. the fuck, man! It's such such a, a very clever thing to do. Yeah. Um, there's one other thing. Uh, I think we've probably mentioned it before, but I don't think you've seen it. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Have you seen that? Oh, you know, I think I've had a lot of people tell me to, but I don't think I ever actually have. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain. So so during the writer's strike, Joss Whedon made this thing with uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Felicia Day, who I love. I love um, Neil Patrick Harris so much. Yeah, they're both they're both great. Fucking and also uh, Nathan Fillion from uh, yep. Firefly. And, oh, I fucking, he's a legend. Anyway, yeah. um, there's this wonderful song um i can't remember it i think it's cannot believe my eyes or something like that it's it's only like 15 minutes long go watch the whole of dr horrible sing-along blog it's like an hour <laughs> or something like, like it's, it's, it's just go go look it up so there's this ho- okay plot is okay <laughs> neil patrick harris is dr horrible he's called dr horrible kind of as a, it's it's like a joke he wants to be the evil genius who's the bad guy in all the supervillain films right but he's not actually that bad and he's trying to be more bad right yeah it's kind of what what's, yeah, yeah. what it is. Felicia Day's character works in like a homeless shelter and she's just like pr- totally properly a good person, right? Yeah. Neil is trying Neil Patrick Harris's character is trying to impress her and show that he's he's you know capable and dum. They sing this song. The first part of the song is in a minor key and um it's all about how the world's falling apart. And everyone's just bad to each other. So someone like me should come along and just fucking rule it. You know, I'm Penny will see the evil me. Not a joke, not a dork, not a failure. So it's all about um, him trying to rise above all this shit. Whereas the next verse is in a major key. Mm-hmm. And it's um, uh, about how there's good in everyone. Listen close to everybody's heart and hear that um, uh, wonderful sound or whatever it is. Um, and what happens is they did this really great trick of syncing up the lyrics to being kind of opposites of each other by each line individually. Yeah. yeah and yeah. because it's the minor and the major, but they're in the same, um, it's like a relative, um, the relative key, they are direct harmonies of each other. So... In the, in the third verse, they sing the same verse, the same way, the exact same tunes that they mm. just sang. But it's a whole but it's other thing. But it's this beautiful harmony. Yeah. And then uh, every now and again, there is one line that's exactly the same. So, Stunning. So it's listen close oh, to would, everybody's yeah. heart. So you would love that. I love um, that stuff, but yeah. But uh, that's one of the things about musical theatre that makes it, to me, a unique... It's not a genre, really, of music, but a unique, no. a unique medium, medium of music yeah. that it allows for that... Um, We've agreed on this there before. There are certain things Musical to do that. Musical theatre isn't yeah, a genre; yeah. it's a medium. Like you could say that um, you know, there's some meatloaf stuff um, that, that does that when he does the duets, but that's kind of written like musical theatre anyway. Oh, you he's know? so theatrical. Um, By the way, before so, we move on, I yeah. spoke on the phone one time to Tim Rice. Did I ever tell you? No. Oh my god, 
I fangirled so hard. Like internally, I handled it. But I was, um, I actually think I have told this story, but just in case, I was um, an intern at a marketing company um, when I was in my last year of uni and I'm answering the phones and we're in this open plan office. So even though I answer it, like five people who work for the company are in the same room as me. And um, I get this voice going, oh, hello, is, um, I can't remember the colleague's name, let's say Lauren. She's like, oh, is, 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 is Lauren available, please? I was like, uh, can I just ask who's calling? Oh, yes, it's Tim, Tim Rice. I was like, <laughs> fantastic. I'll, I'll just give me one wow. moment. And I put it That's on hold. Mad. And I'm just like, Tim Rice is on the phone? And the woman was in the room and she was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, connect the call to, to my desk. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just connect you now. Thank you so much. And I connected and just so hung weird. up and was just sat at my desk like for like a while oh, no. that's so <laughs> I'm pretty funny sure i'm gonna like quickly fact check myself but did tim rice not contribute to the lion king oh um yeah he did i i don't know didn't hans zimmer do the lion king but that well also um elton john and elton john so yeah but i think he only did on. can you feel the love tonight and like a little bit, but Hans Zimmer, I think, did he probably did the between bits. Um, oh, Hans Zimmer, do you know Tim Rice again, just casually really fucking good at tunes. Tim Rice just casually wrote the lyrics to Circle of Life. You know, no big deal. And it moves us all, which is a <laughs> fucking great song. Well, we Circle put that that life. was in our ranked episode for opening numbers. Remember? I mean, that's such a fucking good song. So yeah, that Sunrise, man, oh, that fucking stunning. Sunrise. That's how I feel about them as a duo. That's my contribution. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to go on a weird little sign tangent that's not really related to either of our fields. Well, it sounds very on brand gym. for us. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about etiquette in um, love places you say that, that are a tiny bit etiquette. What, etiquette? Yeah, not etiquette. etiquette. I say etiquette. Etiquette uh, in in a dance studio, right? Yes. So the weird thing is that that reminded me immensely of gyms. Um, yes, that's exactly what it is. No, you're right. I hate I, gyms. One of the reasons I don't go to gyms anymore is because, like, okay, I want to do weights and stuff because that's the stuff I actually enjoy. Mm. And, um, you know, upper body things. And to be honest, my, my favourite workout I ever did was actually just when I chopped wood for two weeks. And that made me feel most good in my entire Mr. life. I've never Ryle, felt better. make a man. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know why I did Let's that, I'm not ex- business. I was going to say okay. if listen, if you don't know why I did that, I'm not explaining it to you. You're Boom. listening to the wrong podcast if you didn't exactly. get that. <laughs> well, the one thing is that I did a cover of that. Have I know, I remember. Oh yeah, 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 I loved it. So, writing duos. Um, we've gone on an, enough of a delicious tangent. Um, I've talked a bit before about how writing with other people is just a kind of better way to be a lot of the time because you get the best out of each other and you do things that neither of you would be able to do on your own a lot of the time and you make you make creative choices you wouldn't make which is sometimes a good thing um and it gives you a whole experience of knowing when to fight your corner and knowing when to you know concede something when someone else has a different idea i really like that and there's you know there's so many examples of that in music um Justin Hawkins and Dan Hawkins from The Darkness, for example. That's a good example. Um, some of their recent albums have been really fucking good. They did they did their first album, which is like their best album, in most people's opinion. Um, and then they did the second, which wasn't too bad. They went away for a bit, came back, and um, they've done a string of albums. And some of my favourite material by them is off the recent albums, and it's kind of... 
I'm pretty sure what happened is they got over their egos after after basically they they had this one album that was like platinum and everyone fucking loved it um except all the people who didn't which talked it up on the internet which meant that everyone bought it anyway you know (laughs) that's what it was like in the early 2000s fucking great um but uh and then you know playing Wembley Stadium shit so people you know it's easy to fall into this trap of ego and we talked a lot about ego on um this podcast from the start I think we have yeah um but it takes a bit of maturity to get over it and you know people turn you brilliant all the time and all this stuff and what seems to have happened is they've kind of got back together and that's kind of disappeared i hope and assume because a lot of the riffs are fucking great and the songs are like fucking great and uh i'm really happy with how the darkness has kind of gone recently they're doing a new album and i'm kind of hoping it's a bit heavier than the last in in my personal opinion but anyway justin hawkins and dan hawkins are a great writing duo you know um there's there's different ways of doing it so the beatles often did the whole I go away and write a song and you go away and write a song. And then we do that song as the Beatles, you know, that's what, what John Lennon and uh, Paul McCartney did. Um, and I think it was always sad that George Harrison didn't get as much of a look in because he's kind of my favorite Beatle in a way, very understated guy, just really loved making music, you know, um it's almost like in in a way i sometimes think he was in the wrong band because if he was in a band where he had a bit more of a dominant kind of personality in it he would have been able to write a lot more stuff on his own some of my favorite songs like you know um here comes the sun while my guitar gently weeps you know those george harrison songs and he did you know oh my lord yeah sweet lord my sweet lord um uh and you know just a great musician in fact there's it's really worth looking up him and i think it's paul simon um doing here comes the sun they just do this wonderful beautiful version of here comes the sun live it's just it's just lovely i love paul simon's voice i think he's great um but uh yeah a weird way that john lennon and um paul mccartney you, you know day in the life yeah um i saw news today yeah, oh yeah. boys so that's the john lennon bit and then paul mccartney wrote woke up got out of bed dragged a comb across my head and the thing is that both of those are so typically of each of other, them, like yeah. the way those songs sound. Like you can usually tell the Paul McCartney ones because they all have, you know, just something about them, the way that they're they're constructed and put together, which I'm, yeah. I'm not quite able to articulate. It's probably no, something to do with the bass. I reckon but, if um, anyone sat down and really tried, they could probably work it out. I see your yeah, point. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that I think could be a if fun I game show. I think if I properly sat down and dissected it, yeah. Like, I'd be able to go, oh, so Paul McCartney tends to do this kind of thing. And delicious, yes. Um, but uh, that's a weird song. Where th- I, I think, I can't remember. I saw a documentary on it years ago and can't really remember. But I think they didn't really know how to link up these two songs. So they just had all these fucking weird bits in the middle. And that's how that song song goes. It's, I saw news today, oh boy. And then, because the Beatles loved doing weird shit in the studio, you know. Um but they're an example of how those close relationships can be a bit tumultuous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because they were so close and they were like brothers and then they had this massive falling out. And what, what was nice was that they had started talking to each other and kind of got back together a bit before John Lennon died so sadly um, and unjustly. Um, so it's nice for them that they had that moment. But yeah, it's just something that, we should talk about, even if we're not going into much depth about Lennon and McCartney being one of those great songwriting duos of the last century, you know, 
um so important and shaping how everyone did stuff you know for further details please see last week's episode <laughs> yeah actually i think it was last week's episode it where i said everyone week, who yeah. does, everyone who thinks the beatles is, is isn't great is a fucking moron <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i have opinions amber and this is where they come out <laughs> no, i mean yeah that's basically uh that's what podcasts sorry are. i do apologize i don't well it's just so hard being right all the time. Oh, tell me about it. Oh my god. <laughs> you know as well like you, you I know. you're right all the time. I'm right all the time. People come people come to this podcast to know what the right opinion is so <laughs> they can take it from here. Like people like I I could form my own opinion, but I know Ooh. that like there's a chance it would be wrong. If I listen to riffs and scripts first, yeah. then I'll know if it's right or not. You know when Scar <laughs> to bring it back to the Lion King just goes, "I'm yeah. surrounded by idiots." Yeah. Sometimes I do feel like an evil genius surrounded by hyenas, but sometimes I'm the hyena, so you know. Then again, then <laughs> again, I mean, with, with our laughs, either of us could be the hyena in that scenario. <laughs> Mufasa, ooh, do it again. Are you good, are you the Whoopi Goldberg one in that? Thousand in that percent. You're Ed. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, fucking hell! On, I forgot I how great we've... the hyenas were in in Lion King. I reckon we've got time for you to tell us about one more duo. Uh, yeah, let's talk about another duo. Because um, um, I went into I epic think... detail on mine, so you can you can have another one. I did touch on the kinks. I'm going to do a tiny bit on two. The thing is that they weren't songwriting as a duo much of the time. It was mostly um, Ray Davis writing the songs and Dave Davis contributing lead guitar, which isn't necessarily the same thing. And it was just kind of sad because they they had a bit of a rift that developed over that um because everyone was like oh raise raise you know the one with the songwriting talent and you know I'm a guitarist you know but at the same time you know there is that thing about being the guitarist the lead guitarist and that being your thing you know and and he contributed so many amazing things like Waterloo Sunset there's this wonderful guitar line one of my favorite bits of lead guitar in all of music what happened with with guitar is that um it's really what weirdly the song American Pie is about. Um, about American Pie is about how uh, musicians became more important to the listeners, that more important than the listeners, um, to to a lot of people during like the sixties. Mm. Um, so I love it used that to song. be in the in in the yeah, it's a brilliant, beautiful song, and there's Classic. so much to interpret, and so you can sit and like you could do a whole essay about it. People have done whole essays about it, and fucking theses, thesis, 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 thesis. People have done at least one thesis on the song American, <laughs> or more, American Pie potentially. because there's so much content in there, and there's there's all this stuff about each different verse is about different things. And um, the day the music died is when Buddy Holly died in the plane crash because he was one of the people who's writing songs for the kids, you know. And mm. then after that, you had um, people writing songs for themselves, which you couldn't really dance to, and it wasn't about having fun anymore for for the listener. And that kind of uh, kind of parodies something that happened um in guitar in that you know guitar became about the guitarists having a little solo wanky little solo where they just go that's that's what the 80s became and then after the 80s everyone got so pissed off with that and and it happens in 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 phases so you have the 50s and then you have the 60s where where everything gets whiddly and then punk comes along because everyone's sick of it going to whiddly and then grunge came along because it got really fucking weirdly in the 80s and everyone's fucking sick of it so you then you have kurt cobain going i'm just gonna write songs you know yeah <laughs> um i mean kurt cobain's a great example of the musician mattering yeah. 
so much. He yeah. got he got really hero worshipped. Funny enough, I'm going to talk about songwriting one more time, and it's going to be about Dave Grohl because I was thinking this in the car on the way home. So when Nirvana were at their height, yeah, Kurt was writing all the songs, yeah. right? Um. Fair, fair fucks. They were like the biggest band in the world uh, 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 for like in the 90s at, at this one point in time. There was interviews with Dave Grohl about how songs that became Foo Fighters songs, he had recorded on like a cassette cassette player, on a, on a cassette tape thing, like mm. a Walkman type deal. Um, and the the boot of his, not the boot, the, the footwell of his car was just completely full of cassettes mm. of songs that he'd written. And the interesting thing was he was doing that all the way through Nirvana. And people said to him, you know, why aren't you approaching the band with any of these songs? Why aren't you doing any of these songs? And Dave Grohl said, why would I? I'm already, I'm in a band with Kurt Cobain. Yeah. He's like, you know. I'm like good. <laughs> one of, yeah, I, like, I, I don't have that big an ego. And yeah, we touch on ego all the time. Ego is this big thing. And, and songwriting duos are about balancing ego. That's how it is. You know, you know, you bringing up Nirvana actually had made me, therefore, think of Oasis, which is one of the most famous rock yes. music duos. Yeah, How have yeah, we not yeah. thought of the Gallagher brothers? And we've yeah. referenced them a lot because I think we're both fans in our own way. Um, but they, yeah, they, I think Ego really had an impact on their relationship. And yeah, I don't think that's yeah. subtle. I don't think that's, that's not news Never to anybody. Never has been, yeah. No. But um, I, I love Noel Gallagher and I remember watching He's an a great interview. songwriter. He's a stunning songwriter. I remember watching an interview he did where he kind of intentionally, like very intentionally, tried to write songs to balance the, the negativity of Nirvana. Mm. So you, mm. when you weren't like there at the time, it's easy to forget which bands existed together which bands yeah, yeah. were happening at the same time and not sometimes competing, sometimes touring together, you know, all of that. And I, I saw him in an interview talk about how he he kind of got a bit concerned about how mm. much Kurt Cobain's music kind of glorified self-harming. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that is just true. As harsh as it is, it's true. And he kind of intentionally wrote some songs that were that were trying to say to young people, like, you will get through this. And I yeah, think that's yeah. really quite beautiful of him. But again, mm. um, he and Liam tended to have, right, this this is my song, this is your song <laughs> kind of dynamic. <laughs> I don't think they were the best at working together. I don't, I don't know what songs Liam wrote, if any, if I'm honest. I really don't. I, th- I was always of the impression that Noel was the songwriter, really. But I never but looked Liam into Oasis much. a lot much. of the Oasis singing, didn't, so I like... kind of assumed that... Well, Liam... yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the thing, is that he sang those songs. Yeah. I think Noel was writing them for him. Now, people at home, this is... Uh, you know, you can tell me I'm wrong. I'm very happy for that. But I, I just don't know much about Oasis. It was weird. Oasis are a band who I was... Hesitant... Okay, what what happened with me and Nath, I've said before, is we were the only rock band at school. So, um, you know, we went to school kind of after Oasis. You know, we, we, we were in primary school during when Oasis was doing stuff. And then, you know, in our teens, when we were in a band, we were away from that. And Oasis spawned a lot of, like, indie stuff in Britain. Um, and we were a rock band, and we were calling ourselves, we're a rock band or a hard rock band or whatever you want to call us. And other people were indie bands or pop punk bands, right? And I weirdly was like, I'm not going to listen to Oasis because 
it spawned off all these indie bands who treat who who talk to me like shit, you know, like <laughs> yeah. say, um, and they were like people really looked down on me and they like a lot at school, and we didn't fucking like it. And I think weirdly that's why we're still musicians and they're all fucking not, you know, <laughs> Savage. like we were just there because we were mates and we wanted to make loud noises and make music and have a bit of fun, um, but uh, yeah, so I didn't really look into Oasis much, but yeah, I was always of the assumption that it was Noel writing the it's, songs. It's Noel m- majorly, yeah. Um, yeah. I saw them live at Wembley Stadium and it really was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. Um, because of, again, we've talked about this before, but the, the moment in time that a gig can create sometimes can yeah. outshine the band and even the music itself. Absolutely, yeah. And for me, it was because Liam had done loads of singing um Noel kind of had a go <laughs> he was like right my turn <laughs> and he Why not? he just broke into don't look back in anger and Wembley Stadium was completely sold out completely packed mm. what's the That's capacity a great song. I don't remember the capacity but it's a fucking lot of people and people were singing so loudly that Noel kind of stopped <laughs> and just played because he kind of got it's great outdone. when that happens though he was like this and it was a really and i know that sounds like oh that's shit it wasn't it was beautiful and he didn't stop no, no, for the great, whole time great, he he opened and closed it but there were some points where it was just a really beautiful experience and i was kind of up in the heavens which wasn't great for the majority of the gig mm. but for that it meant you for were that watching was great. You, you were, were watching, watching the whole thing unfold. Whole, yeah. yeah, like like an out of body experience of the whole like stadium. Like Harry Potter at the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. I don't know why I said that, but there we go. There's one more funny thing that that just occurred to me is that when you were talking about um, Noel Gallagher writing happier songs. Yes. Um, oddly, that's something I've been trying to do a bit myself over the next record. Oh. Um. So, so not all the time. I, I, I'll I'll tell you why. Um. We really need some optimism. Yeah. <laughs> the but world that's what needs felt. some optimism. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't felt optimistic in a very long time. And I'm, I've, I've said before, I have bouts of not being a happy guy, as we've, we've talked I about. I mean, you are human. And, if you were, um, if you were you know, happy all day, every day, I would question you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, no. That would probably be are, evidence of something else wrong. You are not authentic if you're happy all the time. You were saying, darling, you're trying to write more, more optimistic songs. Yeah, because I've said before we were kind of, change things around for this yes. next record we want really to be the same and we were writing songs that were not happy and about sad things um and i want to encapsulate a more holistic view of the world because it's not all shit and gloom not at all and i want to be like uh, yeah i'm writing songs that are interestingly kind of musically more optimistic as well i know that sounds odd but trying to convey that through the music melodically um as well as lyrically. So um, I'm trying to write things in major keys, which I never really did. <laughs> what is this? Um, there's one There's one song, uh, there's one There's one thing that people do in the darkness did it in um, Christmas time, right. which is you write in a uh, minor key for a verse and then a major key for a chorus. So the chorus suddenly sounds so fucking happy. So it lightens, happy. yeah. Yeah. There's loads of little things I could talk about with songwriting, but I think we'll leave that. Yeah, or, for I, another I, time. Last sentence I'll say is, is you just reminded me, one of my favourite albums is a Frank Turner album and it's called Positive Songs for Negative People. And uh-huh. it's brilliant for all the reasons we've just been saying. You can you can be a bit of a rocker and a bit of a punk head and a bit anti-establishment and still find the joy in life. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. It's totally possible, guys. And do you know what? I think I think that's a weird thing that, you know, 
people we've we've talked about before people uh intentionally try to be negative mm. in order to in their own minds make something more creatively pure which we've talked about yeah. is, is kind of shit yeah um and I think a lot of people are trying to emulate Kurt Cobain, actually. With yeah, that. and you just end up sounding like, pretentious, so fucking knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like I'll, I'll be honest, like um, Nirvana aren't my favourite band. I'm no. not saying that Kurt Cobain wasn't a great songwriter, but um, it, it, I would have liked it if he'd been happier, and then he would have had a much longer career and he would have had a happier life and written some lovely, great songs yeah. um, for his whole life. You have to be careful um, as well not to over romanticize yeah. somebody's mental health. Like, in fact, I, I would say don't romanticize what it. What through. fucking ever? Yeah. There's that whole thing about Van Gogh about like yeah, the yeah. paint. The all the paintings were when he was on his meds. You know, yeah. that's when he was happy. He was a depressed guy, but he was happy when he was working. And there's plenty mm. of examples of creative people who are happy. Anyway, I think that's enough from this week for Definitely. us on Riffs and Scripts. Thank you so much um, for listening, you guys. If you want to get in touch, there is our email address, riffsandscripts at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram, Riffs and Scripts Pod. You can find us, drop us a message, send us stories, questions, funny things. Yes. Um, we'll hopefully have a day where we read things out. We did one already with our Prankster episode. Um, so I think it actually helps when we, we give people that. a reason to message. Um, so we might do that again at some point in the future future how about this who are your favorite songwriters people at home because i would like to know brilliant so thank you again and we'll chat to you next week bye Bye. i'm gonna burp again did you just hear that little mini burp no but i did mini a mini burp, burp too uh, oh my go. gosh okay go. i said etiquette etiquette etiquettamine no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Et ye that ketamine. No. Et ye okay. ket. Anyway, carry et on. Et ye ket. Come on, kids. Et ye ket. <laughs> Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. Okay.